Just a quick uh, little jump in before the episode itself plays. This is going to be a fantastic episode with the amazing Brother Ghoulish. I'm really excited for you to hear it and let me know your thoughts on the episode. Just wanted to give a little quick note to say that there will be some kind of spoilerific discussions for movies like Halloween Kills and little elements of Nope. So if you haven't seen those, just be aware of that. And also there were some technical issues while recording this episode. I've done my best to edit them all out, but if there is some audio quality issues, unfortunately it was down to tech issues on the day of recording but hopefully it's all gonna sound good for yourself and I hope you enjoy listening to this wonderful episode. Hello and welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host Mix Bell Morrigan and once again we are continuing our exploration into the question why horror where Each episode, I have a different guest on as we dive into this fun topic. So before we start exploring the questions, today I am joined by the absolutely fabulous Brother Ghoulish, also known as Ryan. And (laughs) before we jump into the questions, if you could just kind of introduce yourself and say about, you know, and your own involvement and connection to horror. So first of all, thanks for having me out. Um... As Belle said, Brother Ghoulish, you can also call me Ryan. I'm the host of Brother Ghoulish's Tomb, and I'm also involved with a few other uh, podcast projects ever since then. That was just a flagship. So now you can also hear me on like Blurdy Massacre as we discuss Blurred Culture. Um, you can listen to me on the Alter Tapes, where we actually review alter horror short stories. Mm. I, I'm rather short videos, brain fart. The coffee <laughs> will kick in halfway through this, I swear. <laughs> and then there's like other... Um, limited series that I've done so yeah I I really got involved with horror through podcasting and it's helped me find that community and that tribe and now my first book is about to come out almost two years after starting the the process so I'm excited oh amazing thank you so before we even jump into it just can you if you can just say a bit more about what the book is going to be on what's about because yeah I've been following that and that's just so amazing to see that that's happening (laughs) So it's uh, when I first started Brother Ghoulish's Tomb, I used to do a story at the beginning and then a horror discussion at the end Mm. every single week. And after a while, when I got like a a positive reception to the stories, I made a commitment to just continue um, talking about these stories that are interconnected in this fictional place in Maryland called Mm -hmm. Warrington County. And I, after about two years, had enough story whatever you want to call it to like put together (laughs) it's like an anthology and i figured let's go indie like let's go ahead and publish this and Mm -hmm. people seem to be very excited because some of the stories will be familiar to people who've been following me since the beginning Mm -hmm. but i fleshed them out even more and gave more insight into the characters i took it off the rails too so i also went 
forward in time so that we can look at Morrington County like say a century from now. And mm. I also, I just, I'm also in love with like the fantasy genre and sci-fi and stuff. So I like mm-hmm. the blend formats. And so the book will just be a bunch of stories focused around queer people of color um, who are put in horror situations and they're all tied together to this this haunted county. And oh. it, it, it goes from like slasher to silly. Like uh, there's even a story about killer thighs in it, for example. <laughs> <laughs> I like to have fun too. You know? That's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> I like that. And it's like, I'll have to keep an eye for that one. But <laughs> um, but no, that's brilliant. Thank. That sounds so cool. And I'm so excited to see that enter the world. And I hope it is received with as much excitement as I feel for it. It sounds really cool. So yeah, I'm definitely glad to hear that that's happening for you. But yeah, that thank, that's really cool. Um, but yeah, like with the, every episode, um, as I was saying before, we jump in, jumped into the recording. I like to kick it off with this one question because I think it's different for every person who's a horror fan, whether they've been a fan since childhood or they've come into it more in later life. And sometimes the films can be different films. So the first question, what was the first kind of horror film you remember kind of watching and maybe the one that maybe had an effect, but then slightly adjacent to it? Because sometimes this can be different. What was the first horror film you remember that kind of made you a fan of the genre that you watched and then you were just like, oh, this is my jam. I like this stuff. I would definitely say, and it probably makes me basic for saying this, but it's it's Scream. Scream Mm. made me fall in love with the genre. I grew up in a horror household, though. So my father showed me movies like Blackula when I was Mm. very young. My mom was more into atmospheric horrors like Eve's Bayou. And my mm. older brother would show us the good stuff. So like, <laughs> like Halloween and and um, Friday the 13th. And it wasn't until I was on my own sneaking mm. around watching movies that I, I found Scream. And I still have it on VHS. I borrowed it from my cousin Chris. And if she's listening to this, <laughs> you're not getting it back. <laughs> you knew what it was. <laughs> oh, amazing. That's brilliant. And that's like Scream is one of those kind of classic ones almost because it's like such the perfect like it's a great just classic horror film on its own right but then it's also almost a gateway to horror because they it drops the references to so many classic films that you watch scream and you're like oh that 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 film that randy name dropped i want to watch that one now you know it's like such a gateway entrance to horror but yeah no i like that one also as a scream fan of the entire franchise i am also happy that that was one of your (laughs) film choices because yes scream is the best in my eyes or one of the best anyway scream is that girl scream Mm. is that girl i mean i didn't appreciate it as um like i didn't appreciate the meta piece of it when mm. i was younger for me it was sydney prescott i really liked that mm-hmm. in order to survive she had to fight back that was dope to me i thought gail weathers was hilarious and th- I, that's what it was it was the characterizations mm-hmm. because in addition to like loving to watch movies i love to read as well yeah and a lot of the stories that i get drawn to are about the characters mm-hmm. and it felt like for my experience this may not be everyone else's around that time i felt like horror was more bloody dumb meat bags you know people mm-hmm. didn't, you didn't really get a chance to see these characters grow and hear anything about their their truths aside from just the 15 minutes we get to know them before somebody <laughs> drops a knife in their chest <laughs> and that's fine i'm not throwing shade at that i love those too but 
Scream was the first time that I saw characters that I really liked and they felt really funny and relatable. And then Scream 2, because of the time I was watching it, was in such close proximity. Mm. You get to see her go to college. And, I mean, yeah, the murders are happening. But, you know. You, you can, <laughs> she's you moving on in life. Yeah. <laughs> murders may be following her, but she's moving on. <laughs> right. She's not letting it stop her. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. She's not letting that trauma stop her. Um, but, yes. And, like, I think just as an aside there, like, it's so true. Like, so much of the, especially the slasher genre in the late 80s. Like, when you got to, like, you know. Friday the 13th, chapter six, seven, <laughs> same with Night, the Elm Street films. Like, it literally, it's no longer about the characters, it's about the villains. Like, that's what people are rooting for, wanting to see, oh, how's Jason going to kill all these random teenagers? How's Freddy going to kill yeah. people? And yeah, that's why I love how Scream kind of stripped that back and subverted it and was like, no, you're supposed to actually not want the killer to succeed. That's kind of how <laughs> these work. Like, and that's the whole crux of horror. And I think that was like Scream was really, I think, Wes Craven's kind of reaction to realizing what happened with that genre it was like, shit, some of these characters I created are now being like lauded as heroes. Like, I think I'm pretty sure Freddy Krueger was on lunch boxes and stuff like that. And he was a pedophile, so that's a little right. bit that's yeah. a little bit problematic. <laughs> and I didn't put it together that he was until I was much older, because Freddie mm. was one of the ones because of like the the limericks and the quick jokes yeah. that I found him so fascinating. But when I got older and looked back, I'm like, oh, <laughs> And then they all but confirmed it in the remake, yes. which I think that was the first time they were explicitly mm-hmm. like, yes, what you all think happened <laughs> was happening and you all are terrible people. <laughs> which I think is probably what, like, yeah, the remake isn't that great of a film. And, you know, Jackie Earl Haley, I can't remember his full name. I can't he either. doesn't hold a light to, you know, Robert Englund as Freddy. But I do think one of the reasons why a lot of people probably didn't like the film was because it was very much slapping them on the wrist going, no, you're not supposed to like Freddy. <laughs> They're just like, no, he's our horror icon. Oh, yeah. It's it's definitely many modes of that. And I wonder how they're going to continue it because Robert Englund killed it so so officially mm. that I can't see anyone else in the role if they continued the franchise. Like, what because uh, I always forget his name too the guy who did Freddy I don't even think it's sad I, he didn't do like a terrible job per se but he wasn't Robert England he yeah, wasn't, exactly he didn't have the same Freddy. charisma or anything like that and I think yeah. that's because they were doing what a lot of those kind of horror remakes do is that they're trying to you know alter it and change it so his Freddy wasn't the wise cracking joking Freddy his Freddy was just a straight up no I'm a monster <laughs> you know yeah. so it didn't have the same weight so a lot, a lot of less people gravitated towards it. But um, I'm picking up on something that you kind of said when you're saying that when it comes to what like you like to write and like the reading as well, that you like to blend a lot of genres and overlap. So I want to know when it comes to like being a fan of horror, because I think this is different from every person, everyone who loves horror. Do you have any like, um like what would be your kind of like personal criteria for what you would consider a horror film? Like, do you have clear like lines as in like, if it's on this side, it's horror. If it's on this side, it's not, or is it more blended and flux for you? It is blended and flux for me. I believe it's based on like the filmmaker's intentions because Mm -hmm. since horror is so subjective, what may scare one person may not scare the next. And Mm -hmm. then when you think about the close relationship between horror and comedy, for example, there are certain movies that have, little to know what people would like associate with horror like high body counts and gore mm-hmm. and even when removing the comedic piece you look at um 
and this is not me fangirling over um uh i can't even think of old boy's name because i don't say his name uh <laughs> uh from uh rosemary's baby mm. um but that movie is an example of how a movie can really frighten you even though it has like a slower pace the gore mm-hmm. and the body count is very low and there's an atmospheric element to it but I've had people in my face tell me that Scream isn't horror because it doesn't fit their criteria, for example. Mm. I've had people more recently say that some of the other things that are coming out now aren't really horror because it's not how they perceive it to be. So usually I just fall back on what was the filmmaker's intention because Mm. there are different types of subgenres that would qualify anything as horror based on what they were actually trying to make. And you'd be surprised what scares people, you know, like... A lot of us, I believe, horror fans who grew up watching this stuff, we may be a, a, a little bit desensitized and not realize it. Mm. So someone who may not be a huge horror fan, they they really may be afraid of some of these things that we're like, oh, whatever. <laughs> you know? Just another body being eviscerated, right. whatever. <laughs> Meanwhile, the person next to you is like screaming. <laughs> it's so true. And I think um, it actually, oh, I love that. It kind of like that. Uh, overlaps and touches on some of the other questions I had and um, I'm going to kind of weave them into it like but one of the questions I have which kind of stems from that but like this is something that I see like a lot of the time on like Twitter and online spaces and like part of me doesn't even know if it's like just there or if it's actually out in the real world but given the reactions that someone told you scream isn't horror I think it might be in the real world (laughs) but um it's that thing of like if someone will say X horror film was a bad film because I wasn't scared. And I want to know what you think about that, because like, to me, I don't think a horror film has to be scary to be considered a good or effective horror film, because as you said, what scares someone is subjective from person to person. So I want to know what you think about that. Do you think that like a horror film needs to be scary or maybe in some way elicit a response to be considered an effective film? So I agree with you wholeheartedly. I also believe that a film doesn't necessarily have to be extremely scary in in Mm. order for it to qualify as horror or whatever the case may be. Because I I see this argument all the time, too, because some people do get onto the timeline and they say this movie was bad, like you're saying, because I personally was not scared. Mm. And I think that is the worst way to, to give someone a review personally. Yeah, I when I'm on anything, if I personally wasn't scared by a film, I try to word it like this. I try to say the film wasn't scary to me. Mm. I try to at least say that piece to to leave space because certain films like Host, I'll use this as a, as an example. Mm. That is probably the more recent modern horror film that came out in the last two or three years yeah. that like hit me, like it really scared me. Mm-hmm. But there were certain people that it didn't it didn't necessarily have that effect. Same thing with like the black phone. There's been a lot of debate as to whether or not the black phone is horror. And Mm. a piece of it is a lot of people are not scared by this film. But whenever I see children facing Mm. like something could happen to them, it it almost like, I don't know how to explain it. It removes like the shield for me and Mm. it makes me more prone or susceptible to be afraid. Yeah. And so it's dreadful. And (laughs) dread is a big piece for me of like potential um, horror elements. You know, Mm. a film could have a low body count. It could have like not that much blood, but if it's dreadful all the way through, for me, Mm. that is, that's still a horror film. And, And it can also be, different things like it could be maybe a gothic film because gothic 
um, I think like literature and also media oftentimes relies on like dread mm. and, and stuff like that. But yeah, that's that's my opinion. Like it, you shouldn't measure it up against that because once again, you know, fear is subjective. Uh, what scares you may not scare me and vice versa. Exactly. Totally. But I love what you're hitting there. And I think it's kind of similar as well to what you're saying that like the reason like Scream just was such a impactful and kind of memorable film for you was because of the characters. And I think mm-hmm. what you're saying there really hits on something. And it's actually what the author Joe Hill, who is the writer of yes. the novella for the Black Phone, mm-hmm. but it's something he says a lot. And for people who don't know, his name is actually Joe Hillstrom King, because he's the son of Stephen King, which I think a lot of people aren't aware of. And when yeah. you realize that you're just like, oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> but um something he says a lot, which every like which I you know just think is really accurate but he says you know horror like shouldn't be like focusing or driven by creating fear it's about kind of creating empathy as in you feel for those characters then you're going to care what happens to them and that's what creates it so as you said like like for me the black phone was absolutely terrifying because of the fact that those characters were real like they felt real like both because the acting performances by both mason thames and madeline mcgraw like made the like they stood they jumped off the screen and jeremy davies as the father Mm -hmm. as well like was horrifying (laughs) as like a humans can be terrifying but um Mm -hmm. but yeah i think that showed that effectiveness of like you care so much about what's happening to these characters that you want them to survive. And I think that shows an effective thing. Yeah, there might not have been traditional jump scares or high body counts, but that doesn't mean it wasn't an effective horror film. But yeah, it's subjective at the end of the day. Like, I think if you were to have a blanket hard line, it needs to meet everything on an objective standpoint you're going to lose a lot of the richness and nuance from horror cinema, I think. Um, But that actually leans into something, which again, this is one of the questions that I'm always fascinated by what someone's opinion on it is, because it, it is like almost like kind of a divisive thing, but I want to know what you, what your feeling is about like censorship when it comes to horror, but also maybe just as in a wider thing when it comes to art itself. Like, do you think there's like a line particularly with horror film and horror cinema, like, do you feel like there's a line in what's acceptable to show? Or do you think there should be no lines at all and depict, you know, depict art? Like, what do you think? I think I'm still learning, like, how I feel on that because I go Mm. back and forth, to be honest. Same. (laughs) Um, if If you ask me that on a good day, I might say, like, no, because, like, horror is a place where, our worst nightmare should be realized. It's just in making sure that you put the right trigger warnings. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, um, I can't, I can't think of like what it's called, but like an abstract or something so that people can get a general idea. Mm-hmm. Like if there is going to be um, abuse or infanticide, like I try to let people know this stuff because everyone's triggers are different. Yeah. Um, and I have a, a story about that in a second. However, if you ask me, about specific films like Serbian film, I'm like, shouldn't exist. So (laughs) I don't know. It goes back and forth. And Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people would disagree with me because there are certain people who believe that there are no boundaries. So this is what I'll say. I can't control like what the filmmakers are going to make. We're definitely going to still get like trauma porn. We're still Mm going to get stuff that is like Serbian film and uh, 180 days of Sodom. I think it's called Mm -hmm. like these other 
really, the, really just the poster really, boys of extreme cinema, basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like they're going to come out. So the the most that the filmmakers can do is just label it correctly, and you know, if it's not your your vibe, just go ahead and just not support it. Um, but because I don't know, if I was the master of everything, those films wouldn't exist, but they do. You know, so it is mm. what it is. So. Yeah, I know what you mean, and I think it's like, like if we step away from the horror genre itself and just talk about the censorship of art, like yeah. if you know if we allow it to happen in certain instances, then it opens up a gateway to get into the point where you know you've got certain red Republican states that are you know banning That's books, true. or Florida <laughs> bringing in a law that says you can't say the word gay. Like you know that stems from censorship, so yeah. it's like it's a difficult thing because there are some things that I do think we shouldn't necessarily portray or we should take a careful hand when portraying but then if you go down a route where you're censoring things and tell uh, you know telling people what they are and they're not allowed to consume then you get to a point where you're actually basically you know ruling on like you know marginalized communities and you know it's a it's an unfortunate there's no easy answer like that's I'm not going to solve it on a podcast that's for sure but um, like I think just when you like mentioned like you know the Serbian film and films like that like I think films that like are very explicit about the fact that we're a film that is talking about specific types of assault or abuse and stuff like that I think it really for me it depends on the filmmaker's intention I think that's what's important like if it's just visual imagery just for the sake of visual imagery, then I'd kind of question the intent and why that film is being made. I'm just like, do we need that? Whereas like, if you take, you know, specifically using rape revenge subgenre, the film Revenge from Carly Fargat, the French director, yeah, that's a brilliant film because like it's very artfully lets you know that this is what's about, but it doesn't depict it in a gratuitous way. And then the rest yeah. of the film is about that character overcoming it and basically getting revenge on all the evil people that did it to her. And yeah. it's very cathartic and very bloody and brilliant. <laughs> but then you get films where it's actually about being very visceral and showing it to you. And I think that like that's when I'm like, I don't know if censorship is the right way, but it's more. I just wish certain filmmakers would had more more tact <laughs> would be a little bit more careful. Yeah, I really don't have anything to add to because you hit it right on the nail. It's exactly that. Because what I don't want, not just our genre, but just mm-hmm. art in general to become is a, a, a space where we get on that slippery slope. And like you're saying, they start to just like put down all these parameters around what can and cannot be portrayed because then the majority wins out. And oftentimes... Mm-hmm. Um, the majority ends up being the people who are not aligned with like the smaller groups or like the marginalized groups because mm-hmm. I definitely agree. Like I'm pretty sure the stuff that, for example, is in my book coming out, it's going to, for certain groups of people, they're going to probably see it as like, oh, trying to glamorize, you know, oh, oh, the gay agenda. I could mm. just say less <laughs> words, right? Like it's like, oh, this is going to, I'm like, yeah, this is actually an addendum of the gay agenda. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That, you know, <laughs> appendix point right. a. like just look you know scroll through you'll find it yeah it's in there <laughs> exactly like when you when you allow yes to the policing of art it, it, it it's a slippery slope it's it's definitely a slippery slope yeah exactly and actually before i jump into another question there was you said that you did have a story on talking about like was it 
trigger warnings or how there was something that you had mentioned a thought that you oh, said yeah. you were going to come back to so what's that before we move further so there was um you know the film the sadness oh yes <laughs> Okay, so I didn't know this until I did a recent event, mm. but apparently they showed it at a film festival, like they normally do, like before it like got yeah. mass release, but they didn't use like any trigger warnings. So mm. people, that's an example of how the reviews that were coming back were very negative um, because there were people who weren't worried the, that this is what they're going to see. <laughs> exactly. Whereas I actually think the sadness, even though it's like definitely like it borders trauma porn, I actually think it's a decent movie. There are mm. certain elements I think they could have done without. And I think you could think of a few of them. <laughs> but, Possibly. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but generally speaking, I felt like it actually did have something to say. And I felt like it was a decent film, mm. but I wouldn't at the same time, judge anybody who's like no it's not my jam because a lot of the content that's in it and that's an example of where trigger warnings are important it is very important to tell people Mm -hmm. what your art is going to entail and if it's more of a situation where you don't want to divulge what it's going to be because like i think about performance artists sometimes they do stuff like this Mm. where they like to surprise the audience well at least in an environment like that this is a this is like a following of people who understand that this mm-hmm. artist is just outside the lines. If I go in here, it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be anything like that. I yeah. feel like that's different from you're going to a film festival about horror and you're not letting people know just in a little tagline on the itinerary. Mm-hmm. This will include, without being spoilerific, you know, yeah. this and that and this and that, and people can say, okay, I'm just going to miss that one because based on my personal traumas and my experience, I don't I don't want to see anything like that, and that's fair. Exactly. I 100% agree with that. I definitely think uh, trigger warnings are very useful and helpful. Like, and they should be something that are employed more, you know, with, I would think, even just like, you know, trailers for films and stuff like that, you know, in the sense that at the end of a trailer, like either beginning or yeah, at some point in a film trailer, it just kind of lets you know, just, you know, the rest of the film will touch on these things and someone can then make that. But then they probably would never do that because then you'd have less people going to the cinema or watching a movie on streaming because they'd be like, as you said, I'm going to give this one a miss. It's one thing at a film festival where it's less about profit and more about just kind of getting the first eyes on it, you know, for the marketing and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, interesting now i'm no take my capitalism hat off i don't want to think about that it's just about whether someone should be warned or not and yes they should that's that's where my stance is bad brain (laughs) no it's not even bad it's juicy to talk about because it's Mm. it's interesting you know like i i I feel similar like you sometimes like i'll discuss a topic and i'm like growing in my understanding of like different concepts and i have like i think changed some Mm. of my views on things just based on I came in and I'm not going to lie. Like I just like had my biased view of horror because it's all I had. I don't have like a whole lot of people around me Mm -hmm. who love the genre as much as me, but that's not the case anymore. I found a community. So Mm -hmm. sometimes you you post about something and everyone resounds back to you and it teaches you something different. Like when I first came in, I didn't know about everything that happened with the Jeepers Creepers filmmaker, Victor Mm Salva. I didn't know about any of that stuff. Yeah. So it took for me to tweet it. And a few friends of mine DM'd me and just gave me the information. And I don't need a lot of uh, hand-holding. So I just dug deeper. I looked into the case. And yep. I was like, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very good example. I can actually, that 
touches on another question which I have um which is one that also always fascinates me and actually Victor Salva is probably the perfect example for it (laughs) but it's like I want to know what you think like you know the kind of academic literary kind of concept of like you know the entire death of the author I want to know like do you think that possibly extends to horror films like do you think that like you know horror filmmakers like are responsible for what comes out or possibly should be held accountable for the cut films that they make as in you know and then on the flip side you know are we as horror viewers like are we in any way you know accountable for what we're watching in the sense that if someone is like you know knows about everything to do with Victor Salva and then is still oh yeah, I want to support the new Jeepers Creepers movie. <laughs> you know, do you think like, should people be held more accountable for that type of thing? So less about the actual like, as in, yeah, there are certain ex- extreme horror yeah. films that, you know, just aren't my bag. But I'm just like, it's most of the time it happens to be just a film. That's fine. But it's more when a filmmaker is actually problematic. I think that's when it gets more murky. Like, I think yeah. that there is a, I think in that sense, there is a fine line between I'm just, you know, appreciating the art to no, no, I'm actually consuming this person's creations because I still want to give my money to them. I want to know what you think about that. And I know that's a very lots of questions I've asked in one sentence, but I want to know what you think about that topic itself. So I actually want to start at the back end of it because, um, the reality is I think that some people may not realize their place in things and their mm. significance. Like as horror fans, even if you don't have like a, a platform, like you don't go on social media, mm-hmm. you don't have a podcast, whatever. I think sometimes people don't understand they are still significant because the money that you spend to rent the, a, 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 mm-hmm. a feature or to buy a film, if it is going towards a filmmaker like a Victor Salva, in my opinion, it means that you're, I, I don't like to say it so harsh, but I'm just going to say it. You are giving financial like foundation mm-hmm. to whatever they're doing in their life. And oftentimes that involves paying off people to keep them quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, usually that involves like the recruiting process and also affording, you know, top notch lawyers so that the system can just continue to go. And mm-hmm. I, and I think of another example that's outside of horror with like R Kelly. I think this is a good example mm. because this is somebody who, because he had so much money um, and so much talent for so long, when we're looking at the uh, surviving R Kelly documentary, so many people are confused as to how this could have gone on so long. It's mm. because money talks, you know, like, yeah. you know, so I take personal accountability as a viewer in not putting my money in places that I'm not okay with what they're trying to perpetuate or what they're involved with, because I feel like my little $5 matters. Mm -hmm. Um, And same difference with like spreading the word. So word of mouth is still a thing and it still is important. It's still the best and more like the best organic way to suggest things to people. Yeah. Ad, whatever, you know, ad has no soul behind it. But your your best friend, like y'all having cocktails, and you're like, girl, you should watch Jeepers Creepers. <laughs> She's more likely to go watch it. So mm-hmm. yeah. reverse that energy and just educate just on the spot and just say, hey, um, I know you want to watch Jeepers Creepers. Just just letting you know this information. I mean, I'm on TikTok as well because it's like one a, another platform I like. And I can't tell you how many times I'll do a live 
and I'll make a joke about like why I don't want to support Jeepers Creepers, and people are like, what are you talking about? What are you it, like? People mm. don't know. Uh, yeah, a lot of people it, who aren't like I guess <laughs> terminally online and not within yeah. the horror community like twenty four seven probably aren't that aware of it because it's not something that's big in the zeitgeist knowledge. Like I think, yeah. like for example, like I think there's probably a lot more people aware of you know the certain problems to do with say a roman polanski than there might be with victor salva or to give a more modern not ready to do with horror but uh you know a lot more people are aware of how shitty she who shall not be named is oh my god (laughs) yeah yeah. I don't go a few days without thinking about that because I was a big Harry Potter fan oh, growing up. And same. so it broke my heart. Like, mm. I read the books. I watched them. I stood in line. Like, <laughs> oh, the heartbreak. The heartbreak. Yeah, I know. It's just, yeah. And actually, um, yeah, because, like, thinking about that, because I know, like, when it comes particularly with, you know, the Harry Potter franchise, and this is, like, just a slight tangent, but, like, I know... <laughs> It, it was so heartbreaking for so many queer people because a lot of queer people kind of saw facets of themselves in the fact yeah, that, you yeah. know, Harry was an outsider and stuff like that, you know? So saw facets of themselves through that character. And, like, going back to horror, I think it's why, you know, queer horror fans are such, like, a strong base because, you know, so much of horror is, like the monstrous, the other, something that's outside. And I think that's why so many queer people relate to certain horror characters, whether they're the villainous ones or not, but they see something in that or, you know, to go the Disney direction, queer coded villains. We tend to prefer those guys and gals over the heroines because like the queerness is embedded into them. But I want to know what you think when it comes to, like queerness in horror because this is something that always interests me like like and like slightly related Mm. like problematic people like do you think like because I think there is this ongoing debate that the only type of queer representation we should get should be completely sanitized completely desexualized completely you know cookie cutter something that you know something that you know is relatable to all (laughs) but I want to know like but I think, you know, I want to see messy, real queer people in screen, mm-hmm. on in cinema and in horror. I want to know, and you're nodding away and agreeing, so I think you might oh, yeah. be on the same line. But I want to oh, know yeah. what you think about that. I think that the um, that type of sanitization is, I think, well, I don't think I know <laughs> what they slash them, unfortunately, suffered from. Mm. It, it, it was, uh, there were a few things that I wasn't really a fan of in the execution of that project, but the the big one for me is that it, it felt like it was afraid to get messy. It was afraid to kill mm. certain people. It was afraid to show us in certain lights. And you think about films like Halloween Kills mm-hmm. and how, um, I don't want to spoil it too much, but I think it's been out long enough. I, I'll, uh, I'll... Yeah, I'd say anyone who would have wanted to have seen it has seen it. Okay. I kind of, that, that would be my take on it. But when I'm releasing this episode, I'll also just throw in it. FYI, there might be a bit of a spoiler for Halloween okay. Kills. But yeah, so All go right, ahead. Because I definitely <laughs> want to talk about Big John and Little John. Oh, like, I, I think that's characters. an example of a really good characterization. Yeah. Like, and it got messy. I mean, they both got killed. Mm. And I remember when that happened, 
Um, I liked the scene personally. I yeah. thought it was like really good, and it's an honor to be killed in a horror film, in my opinion. So it was all good. But there were certain people. I don't know if you saw this on Twitter as well. That were mm. like they weren't really pleased with it, and they were complaining. And I don't like to normally police people's reactions to things, but yeah. in this case, I had to. I was kind of like, listen. <laughs> I don't, I can't speak for every queer person. It's not all in me. However, I do believe it's fine for us to be the villain. It's fine for us to be murdered mercilessly. Mm -hmm. That's not the complaint. The complaint is when we are just tropes. The complaint is when we don't really have access into certain writers' rooms. So Mm -hmm. there are people like telling our stories and just certain depictions. But in terms of like, I don't care if like, you know, somebody calls me today and they're like, hey, just want to run something past you. You know, I'm going to do like a slasher and the first person that dies is going to be like a a queer person of color. How do you feel about that? I'm like, just tell me a little bit more about it. Like, is that the only person in the film? Mm-hmm. You know, like, is is that it? Of and both they, demographics, like, you yeah. know? <laughs> and then after that, is it just all, you know, straight white <laughs> cis people? Like, what? but... I just think that it's a tapestry. And what's starting to happen is like film is getting more exciting because we're seeing a diversification. Mm-hmm. You're not just seeing usually just one queer person or one person of color. And I think about like the new Scream, for example, the one that yeah. came out, like Scream 5. I think they did an exceptional job showing of what I'm talking about, where there's such a rich tapestry of characters that if a few of them get knocked off, you don't really feel the impact because that diversification is there. Yes, and exactly. I think that's what media is starting to move towards. And I don't know. Did you get to see Bodies, Bodies, Bodies yet? It's not out here yet in Ireland. So I think it's out next week. So I haven't seen it yet. But I'm also someone where, like, for me, like, there isn't really such a thing as a spoiler. Because, like, I very much take the uh, James Gunn approach because this is something that he's always been an advocate for. But it was kind of like, there isn't really such a thing as a spoiler because if knowing what happens in a story or in a Mm -hmm. film ends up ruining the impact of that scene then it wasn't a well-written movie because like Mm. my approach is that you know if it's a good movie and a good story knowing what happens isn't going to take away from it and that's you know I I think some people might more agree with that than they realize because if someone has like say you know certain comfort horror films or films that they love to rewatch. They're rewatching it knowing every beat, everything that's going to happen. But every scene that's their favorite that they know is coming is still their favorite because it's still good. And, you know, so I think when it comes to spoilers, if knowing something happens, like take, for example, it's been out long enough. It's not a spoiler anymore. But take, for example, not horror, but Star Wars, The Force Awakens, yeah. you know, um, wait, just to <laughs> double check. Have you seen it before I actually say this thing? You can say it, it's fine. It's okay, fine. <laughs> right. But, but I just wanted to double check. But uh, <laughs> to whether it defeats my theory or not. <laughs> but not a... <laughs> I can't. <laughs> but um, a certain character in this film gets killed off that you kind of go into it, you're not expecting it. it I think going into it, knowing that this character gets killed off, doesn't take away from the emotional impact of when that character gets killed off because it's still effective. If, however, knowing this character gets killed off, I get to that scene and it happens and I'm just dry, there's no reaction, then that was a bad story, bad, badly written. That's my approach. So go forward with your bodies, 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 
thing that you were going to talk about because I don't believe in spoilers. <laughs> okay, cool. That was a very long narrative to tell you that you no, were okay. No, I, I actually like how you explain things because like, I'm like, just, I get what you're saying and it helps like set the texture. So, well, thank you. <laughs> no, no worries. Like the two people who survive, they are both queer people mm-hmm. and one of which is of color and everyone else literally is killed but in in that bloodbath i believe it didn't feel like a sanitization it just felt like everybody went through what they went through Mm -hmm. in that bloodbath there were other queer people who were killed and it just landed the plane and i just think that like as media starts to diversify that's what we get a better um feel for exactly i don't i don't know like i just want to see I want to see myself as the villain in in a. I don't just want every time a queer person or a person of color on the screen that they're just kind of like shrouded in a halo of golden light. Mm. That, that's not the best horror is when everybody can get it. In yeah. my person, in my personal opinion, like everybody is, no one is safe. <laughs> exactly, and like that's what like you know I'm one of those rare people who was actually kind of like a fan of Halloween Kills. I actually rather enjoyed it. Yeah, it's not the best film, but I had great fun with it, and I've rewatched mm-hmm. it, and it's fun each time. But I just loved how after Big John and Little John get killed, I was just like. Michael Myers is an equal opportunity killer. Oh my God. (laughs) Because he's just like, he doesn't care. Everyone's fair game. But like from that, and kind of going back to what you were saying, like it really, I think it depends on like, you know, the context of what the character is and why their death is occurring. Like Big John and Little John were just killed because Michael Myers is, you know, he just kills everyone. Like, you know, he doesn't care. If, it was a different film and those characters were killed because of their queerness. That's different. That's when it becomes more problematic. And that's when I'm just like questioning the filmmakers intent. Cause I'm just like, you know, this is dangerous territory. Do you know what you're navigating with? And I'd imagine that it's probably like a similar experience for, you know, a person of color. If, a character on screen that is the reason for their death rather than the fact that it just happens to be you know yeah. the characterization and yeah i think to me it really depends on the context but yes i'm excited to see more diverse writers rooms more people behind this the screen because that will give us more rich stories like you know and i'm excited for that and that actually cuz this is something that i've noticed not necessarily like and I think horror is more of a reflection of it but for me anyway I've noticed over the last like say 10 15 maybe even more years of the films and tv shows that are coming out Mm. it feels like so much of what we're getting is really it is like very sanitized and desexualized in the sense that it feels like sexuality and sex and the messiness of humans is almost like being removed from so much of the media we're getting whereas to me it feels like horror is kind of refusing to go down that route most of the time as you said there is maybe some bigger studio projects like maybe a they them that fall into being more sanitized but I want to know what you think about that do you think that 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 trend has been occurring that like are like to me it feels like we're not getting like sexy films like yes there could be films that have sex but they're not necessarily sexy films like you know there's no like you know you look at some of the films that like came out in like say the 
you know particularly like the 70s and the 80s and stuff like that and they're like dirty films like you know they're kind of like those films that kind of make you kind of like have that kind of like oh you know I feel a little bit nasty and raunchy I feel like we're not getting that even in like for example you know Adrian Lyne the you know who made some famous erotic thrillers in the 90s and he brought out that film Dark Water with Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas which for an erotic thriller, it was very not erotic and just kind of just bland. And I want to know what you think. Um, do you feel that horror is still allowing itself to kind of be more gritty and dirty? Or do you feel horror is also falling victim to that kind of broader sanitization? I think it's happening in tandem. I think like in mm. certain pockets, like especially like indie filmmakers and like um, less like mainstream popular mm. titles and stuff, you have a better chance of seeing the type of films that are grittier yeah. and just like get really down into it. And that's why I always say like, I love supporting indie filmmakers because mm-hmm. they just be, they just don't give a fuck. <laughs> they, they, just, <laughs> they don't care. But um, when it comes to the other side of that, what I think is happening is this, and this is just my theory. And I, I haven't really fleshed it out all the way. Yeah. I believe that, horror in general is becoming more mainstream. It's becoming like more accepted by the Mm. masses because for so many years, people didn't quote unquote like horror and they would usually conflate the subgenre slasher with horror, for example. Yeah. But as horror starts to trickle down into other places like um, thrillers, Mm. you know, commonly um, more people are consuming those type of movies. And as a result of these box offices wanting to cash in on something that is blowing up and getting more mainstream recognition, um, they're trying to, I don't know how to word it properly, but they're trying to do it in a middle section Mm. where a mass audience could come out and see it and then still give their money to it and keep it circulating and keep it going. Mm. And as a result, that comes with a certain level of like the sanitization that is happening where we're not seeing like these grittier horrors in the theaters because Mm. they want to capitalize on that money. And it doesn't mean that a title can't succeed underneath of that weight, Mm. but it is a weight nonetheless, you know, as a tricky dance. Yeah. Like when you think about horror, you know, at the baseline, I oftentimes think, I think about who the villain is as like Mm -hmm. an embodiment of like the boogeyman or death themselves just coming to collect. And that's a, that's a nasty process for people to deal with. But the, the films look clean. They look, you know, they look mm. zero. Like, it, 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 there's nothing in there to kind of trigger that feeling because it's becoming more mainstream. And that's mm-hmm. some of the risk. And that's also trickling into how a lot of these films, in my opinion, aren't getting the correct reviews from top critics. Mm. Because there are so many critics who I would say don't like horror. Yeah. Just, I would just say what yeah, it is. No, I think you'd be very spot on. Like, there's... there's... Yeah. When it comes to horror films, like I tend to just like when it comes to horror films and superhero films, because like, yeah, I'm a comic nerd. I like the MCU. I like the Marvel films. Like, you know, they are what they are. But when it comes to those films and horror films, I just don't read reviews because I know a lot of the time it's not going to it's not going to make me happy reading. it. So I'm just, you know what, if there's a film I want to see, I'm going to see it regardless. You know, I'll just go in blind. (laughs) They just don't get it, I feel, because they they have like a different view of what film criteria is. Mm-hmm. And the horror fan, we understand things from a different perspective from our love of this genre. Yeah. And I th- I'm thinking about even The Invitation, which came out um, the week that we're recording this. 
and how it had a PG thirteen rating, and people were a little nervous about this because mm. they want to see they want to see the good stuff. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I was kind of like, ah, oh, PG thirteen does seem a little risky, mm. but I'm not going to sleep. I'm still going to go give it a chance. I'm not expecting certain things because yeah. of this rating, but how much do you want to bet? Because it seems like this has vampires in it, and it seems like it's PG thirteen, and there's like a little bit of gothic mm. situation, like. I, that it's going to do decent money wise because it can appeal to a wider audience because of those things. Um, same difference with like, um, what was another one that came out recently that kind of, it was another one. I can't think of it. It'll come back to me, but yeah, that's what I think is happening. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a pretty fair reflection of it. And one of my guests on one of the previous episodes, Chandler Bullock is a kind of horror oh, yes. academic. Yeah. yeah I, I, I love Chandler. Yeah brilliant person um but yeah like um was saying very much similar things that it feel it seems to be like it's a marketing money thing in the sense that you know make it more sanitized make it more palatable to more people across you know rather than trying to be like we want this film to be something that one specific demographic will eat up we're gonna try and touch every base in one go Therefore, it's going to be more sanitized. It's going to be less what a hardcore horror fan is seeking. Yeah. Or just, you know, in general, like a hardcore film fan. Because we're trying to get more butts and seats. We're trying to make more of these movies and stuff like that. And I think that's definitely a thing within the Marvel films. um, Because they are very much sanitized, palatable to a lot of people. Um, But yeah, no, I definitely am picking up on a lot of what you're saying there. And I think it is... Yeah, it's in indie horror is where the most interesting thing is happening. Small budget horror there. That's and particularly with, you know, queer horror, that is yes. qu- queer horror is like thriving, I think, with well, it's alive and breathing well within the indie market. I want yeah. it to thrive and get into more spaces. But then like then you run that risk of like the bigger you get, the more you know people that you're trying to get to see it the more potentially stripped back of what your essence is you have to become. And that's a tricky, as you said, it's a dance. It's a very delicate dance. It is. Um, it, I think, I think yeah. some of it is even mentioned in, um, in metaphor in Nope a bit, mm. this idea that we're packaging so many of our like projects for mass appeal Yes, and how sometimes it can, it can backfire on the person who's doing it because I can't remember the, the character's name, but the one, the white filmmaker that they were working with to actually mm. try to capture. Yeah, have, you've seen. Have you? Yeah, seen I saw yet? it okay, last yeah. week. Yeah, loved it. <laughs> so that character went over my head, but it wasn't until. And this is what I love about the layers of Pills films. You mm. get into these discussions with people. Someone I was talking about said that character is probably the in-universe version of Peel because he's gotten so used to staying at the top of the hill and hitting it and hitting it and hitting it every time that it's the nightmare, like you said, that he literally cannot wake up from. Mm. Whereas there are all these other... Don't get me started on that because the episode will take another turn. It will take another turn. Look, I can't. I just, that movie, oh my God. Yeah, I'll have to have like a specific Nope episode just to talk yes, about Nope. You should, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, and have, then we can geek out about Nope for an hour or two. <laughs> but yes, um, I, but yes, like my own little tangent on Nope. I think my favorite thing about it, yeah, and then again, then we'll stop. But <laughs> my favorite thing about it was like less than, I love the film itself but my favorite thing was when I came out of the film 
walking down the stairs in the cinema there was like three guys in front of me and they were all like what was that movie about they were trying to unpack it and my favorite thing was like I was just like I just think Peel was fucking with people like I think he was like on the surface he's just making a really good film like as in Yes, if you want to, you can start unpacking it to see all the different layers. But it actually just works as a really good, just solid film on its own without going into the deeper layers. And I love how that's what my reaction was anyway, just because I think, you know, Get Out was so overt in the metaphors and then Mm. us expanded that even more. And I like how this is like, it's almost like feels like people are expecting me to have a film that says something big. So I'm not really going to say something big. I'm going to say lots of nuanced things under the surface of just a solid film. And like, yeah, that was my reaction to it. And I just, I just love those people. What was that about? It doesn't have to be about anything. It was just good. <laughs> yeah. It, you know what's crazy about that? Like when you sent me the questions and you wrote something about the death of the Arthur, mm. what I was like reflecting on is kind of close to what you're talking about right yeah. now. Because I actually believe that when filmmakers and writers too like yeah. it just everybody the arthur mm-hmm. when they believe that they're sitting down to create something that's original it's like my father used to say like there's nothing new under the sun so mm. you can intentionally or unintentionally incorporate all these artifacts concepts and ideas that already exist elsewhere and yeah. it's in your work and you can't control kind of like the all the conclusions that people will come to And you even think about horror and how it's so Mm self-referential. And what I mean is like, you see filmmakers get inspired by other horror works. And so they may take an Easter egg and like drop it in their their work. And it might just be an aesthetic choice. Mm -hmm. However, what ends up happening is um, some devout fans may see this and it's a charged artifact for them. (laughs) They, They know that, oh, the original filmmaker actually did it because of X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And so you ask that filmmaker, and for them, it's a different answer. It's, I love that horror film, and I just wanted to pay homage to one of my favorite horror films. Whereas it's drenched in just this deep lore (laughs) that the the devout fans understand. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's what's interesting about what I do, like, when I'm on Brother Ghoulish's tomb. Because, like, one of the things I do is, like, I try to unpack layers. Yeah. But... Nine times out of ten, I know what it is. Like, I even, like, poke fun at myself about it. It's like me pulling out a spade and just digging. Like, <laughs> nine times out of ten, they're not thinking about it at this level. Trust and believe. Like, I've <laughs> I've gone to film, um, I've gone to film festivals where I've had the, the privilege of speaking with the filmmakers, mm. like, right after the, uh, right after yeah. they're done rolling the credits. And I can't tell you how many times I'm like, <laughs> did you put this one element in there because you're trying to do X, Y, and Z. And they're like, oh no, I just thought it was cool. And I mean, they're never nasty about it, yeah, but, but I just wasn't thinking about it that intensely. And I think that's what's fun about it, you know? Totally. And that actually reminds me of uh, <laughs> being back in school, studying English when we were studying some poem for English class. And mm. like, there was like, whatever word was in there was just orange. And like, we were all like, you know, the class was like, spent like half an hour kind of like trying to debate about this symbolism of the word orange and why it was in there and then like when I got home and I googled like the poet whatever they just like in an interview they had a quote and it was just she like the word rhymed (laughs) like there was no other meaning or intent or impact it wasn't some big symbolism or anything the word rhymed I didn't have any word that I could use and I just think that that's the same thing is that when you're so big into this love of genre love of horror love of these films 
you go into every film wanting to kind of see what those layers are and see what's happening. And a lot of, like you said, sometimes it could just be, it's what worked. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Which, and I love that. I love how we try and unpack that. But that actually leads to like a fun question, which can kind of start to kind of close us out and tie us out. But um, do you have any like favorite subgenres of horror? And, but most particularly, this is the question I really want to know why are they your favorite subgenres? Like, is there a reason that you turn to a certain subgenre and be like, this is what I'm getting from this type of film? I actually have three favorites now. So um, the tried and true one has always been slashers. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's what I grew up with. I love watching them with people. They're they're fun social films. Yes. Because nine times out of 10, you're judging everybody. You know, I feel like those old puppets, uh, Muppets that sit up in the booth at, uh, in the Muppets and like just oh, judge yes. everybody. Like, the best. It's just, or even Brenda in Scary Movie. You know, don't go in there. Like I literally, I just, that's the experience for me. So slashers are always fun. Um, And psychological horror slash thrillers are also one of my favorites. That's when I want, that's when I want the layers. Because mm-hmm. to be honest, one of my favorite things about enjoying horror films that are layered like that is trying to figure it all out like it's like a puzzle like growing up i've always been into like i was like a little chess player and stuff i used to get little trophies and stuff like i just always love like brain teasers Mm -hmm. and and if i can have that through cinema it's like an extra Mm -hmm. cheat because you get that visual aesthetic piece and then you get it's just is there any particularly like you know one or two films from that kind of type of subgenre that like are your go-tos that you'd be like, you know, if you were kind of like, oh, I love this genre. These are the films that represent it the best. Are there any ones that kind of stand out for you? I'm going to put one on a pedestal yep. right now because <laughs> it only came out recently and I can't stop suggesting it to people. I don't feel a lot of people have seen it yet, but um, Hypochondriac by Addison Heyman. And mm-hmm. that film, so it is a queer psychological thriller. Um, and the lead is a queer person of color who's a potter. Mm. And he is going through like a psychological breakdown. And because the film is from his perspective, it it gets really frightening. And there are certain like symbols and recurring characters in in his breakdown that are just, oh my God. Like I just felt like I fell in love with that film. I got to see it um early at a film festival and it like it made me cry. I'm just gonna be honest. It was a beautiful film. Mm. And then when it finally came out out where everyone could see it. I talked about it on Brother Goldish's tomb. I like I um I got contacted by um the horror queers because they um were actually trying to set up like an event like a live watch and they were like because mm-hmm. they knew I loved it. I was like they were like do you want a live tweet? I said watch Hypochondriac again. <laughs> Say less. I'm there. <laughs> like and it's just that would definitely be one for the psychological thrillers. Um and for slashers, I would probably say hmm I don't want to say scream. Uh, hey, I feel it, so basic. I just love scream. It's a classic for a reason. And like, it works every time. Like, it's just like, yeah. and but yeah, but I think like, yeah, it's like scream or slashers in general are great, like social ones, but also scream in particular, I think really works as a whodunit as well. Like that's the fun with scream is like trying to figure out who the killer is and stuff like yes. that because you know there isn't a supernatural monster it's just a person so you've got that extra layer to it because i think you know when you got a slasher like you know jason or freddie or michael like you know 
it's more about how are they going to do the kills because you know who the killer is. Whereas I think that's always the fun thing about screen films is like the whodunit aspect. Um, but oh, yeah. for sure. And um, you said that there was like another kind of subgenre that kind of stands out as like a kind of a favorite of yours. So what's that other third one? Southern Gothic films. Oh, okay. And I, the reason why is, like I said, my mom used to watch them growing up. Mm. But I didn't, I didn't type, like, I didn't think that's what they were called. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Like, I would watch, like, we watched Eats Bayou together. We watched um, Beloved together. Um, also an amazing book. Um, we watched, um, what was another one? Um, it had a, um, the woman from What Happened to Baby Jane in it. It had her in it. I just can't think of the name of it. My mm. brain is freezing. But as I've gotten older, I always go back and, like, there's, like, Skeleton Key. Um, mm. There's, like, Frailty. And the older I get and I have this beautiful community around me of people suggesting things to me i keep finding more and more of them and i've just fallen in love like with southern gothic films i think they're absolutely brilliant and the more that you watch them you see that all of them don't have like hallmarks of slavery which is one of the i guess the obvious Mm, you know things that show up in these films because of where it's based and what a lot of the dread comes from for me personally but they're not all like that. It's very diverse. And I actually would like to see more of them because I feel mm. like there aren't enough. I feel like they need to kind of diversify the type of... I'm getting on a tangent. That's the last one. <laughs> see, I know how to catch myself sometimes. Like I, Every once in a while. <laughs> no, brilliant. But also, I love tangents. It's like, you know, these conversations, these discussions are great fun. But, you know, that that's a really like a really interesting one because I, you know, it's not one that I'm that familiar with as a subgenre. So I'll have, you know, if there's films that oh. you, you know, want to, yeah, if there's films that you think I should, you know, I know you've mentioned two, two or three there, but if there's other films that I you think I should hit up. By you. Ease by, by you. you. Okay. Yes. Start start from there. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you heard of it before? I don't. I've I'd heard of is. I, I could be mixing it up, but is Beloved the one with Oprah Winfrey in it, or is that a that different? Is okay. Okay. Yeah, I've heard of that one, and I think I might have seen it, but I don't think I've seen Ease by You. It goes. It goes under the radar a little bit, but it recently, like in the last two or three years, got picked up by like the Library of Congress as like a central cinema because oh, okay. of like the themes that it talks about. And if you've ever seen um, uh, Silence of the Lambs and Candyman, which I know you have, mm-hmm. the, <laughs> the, uh, Bernadette who played um, Helen's best friend um, oh, okay. in, in uh, Candyman, and also played Clarice Stallings' best friend in Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> She's the woman who wrote and directed *East by oh, You*. Her name okay. is Casey Lemons, and that film is—it's really—it's—it's it's gorgeous. I'm not going to tell you anything about Samuel Jackson is in it. So is okay. um, Lynn Whitfield, and um, uh, uh, from *Lovecraft Country*. Uh, I can't think of her name. Uh, Jussie Smollett's older sister, Journey Smollett. Jer- okay. Yeah, so she's in it as well, and. Hell, I think Megan Good is in this movie. Come to think of it, like, look, okay, but yeah, it came out in the early '90s, and it's it's a must see. I okay, think you would nice. love it too. It's like it's gorgeous too. It's a gorgeous film. Grand, perfect. I'll add it top to my list of films to seek out. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> and um, yeah, no, thank you. Um, but yeah, and actually, I'd say there's probably going to be overlap because this is always the one I kind of like to close out with, um, and it'll probably overlap to some of those kind of favorite subgenres, but. What are your specific kind of like, you know, or do you have any, but, you know, comfort horror films? Like if you're having a bad day, it's a bad week and you want to just throw a movie on because you know you're going to have a good time. I'd imagine Scream is probably up there, but are there any other kind of comfort horror films for you? 
the Friday the Thirteenth uh, franchise is definitely up there. Um, some of the Halloween movies, uh, <laughs> emphasis on some. <laughs> none of the Curse of Thorn ones. Um, and even though I don't hate the Rob Zombie ones, they're not comfort watches. Yeah, it's usually like H two O, which I really mm-hmm. think is a good one, or like the first two. And even the 2018 one has become like a comfort watch. There's there's a few for me. There's Cam, The Taking of Deborah Logan, Hell House LLC, mm. um, Cube. Um, I think those are probably the top ones. Like those are my favorite comfort watches. They're just, they're fun. Like they don't, I don't necessarily, when I'm like in a bad mood, and I just want to see a little bit of horror. I don't want the layers at that point. That's when yeah. it starts to go more <laughs> slasher. And mm-hmm. I may or may not envision some people's faces on the people getting done in, who, you know, who pissed me off. But, you know, it's my business. <laughs> that's this between, is how I heal. That's between okay. you and the film. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, yeah, relatable. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, definitely. And I think, I think a lot of people are the same as in like, you know, a lot of times you don't want the layers when it comes to the film. Like if you're just want to a bit of horror because like, you know, you're going to have a good time with it. The layers are kind of, you want to steer away from that. That's more, but you yeah. need to be in the right space for those type of films. Um, But yeah, like there's some horror films that like, I I probably watched like you know if if I did have a VHS player like you know the tape would have been burned right. by now because I've watched it that many times, but um but no then um, th- yeah I've just loved so much of everything that we've been saying we've touched on so many amazing things and and um, yeah one kind of like last kind of closing question because I think this is something that like you know what do you think is like maybe like the like the future for horror cinema do you think we are going to go into more diverse space and we will have more queer and black and other people of color voices and films and stories being told like do you feel like we're going that direction i think that um we're we live on like a cycle and sometimes the cycle repeats itself um in shorter uh periods of time Mm. but what i believe is going to happen is we are going to see this explosion of black cinema that has more people in front of the camera and behind the camera and not just black i believe like queer people as well it's Mm -hmm. going to move in that direction and unfortunately because time repeats itself i believe there's going to there's going to be a reaction yeah it's going to a few people will make it and then a lot more people will get shut out and then the cycle will Mm -hmm. refresh and i hate to say this but a big piece of it in my opinion is the whys why are we seeing more and more people get some of these opportunities Mm -hmm. unfortunately it's because the studio wants to do something fresh and hip and new so Mm. call your fellow black friend and invite them in so we can do a film real quick Mm. and that is probably it while that is a great opportunity and it definitely leads to more numbers because you're attracting that demographic once that happens it kind of is harmful in the long term you want to not just give an opportunity to somebody you want to set them up for success mm-hmm. and you don't want it to be like a uh not a tokenization per se you don't want it to be like a hook to pull an audience you yeah. want it to be a celebration of what this filmmaker is capable of doing mm-hmm. and while we are excited for people like uh jordan peele who i think is like he's one of my favorite filmmakers like i just love oh, his film yeah for sure I know that like he's not the first black filmmaker in our genre to to or not even just horror just you think about like Spike Lee you think about yeah. all these other really brilliant filmmakers who have existed across time 
and you wonder why we repeat some of the same mistakes, it's because we're on a cycle. Mm. And I'm going to enjoy the ride nonetheless, and I'm going to stand on the side of what needs to be said. And I think that's where we're, where we come in is actually important mm-hmm. because we double almost as film historians. Like we don't think about it because we just love watching horror films. Yeah. But something about that creates these watersheds. We understand. Oh, this feels similar to something I've seen before. Mm-hmm. I've seen this happen for us, like like maybe ten or fifteen years from now. We're going to talk about that time period after Get Out came out and then after Horror mm. Noir came out where we saw this huge explosion of really diverse horror films. <laughs> I will say good, but some of them still made some of the same mistakes. Mm. Um, and those mistakes, like they said in the Horror Noir documentary, which I always say that people should sit down and watch. Oh, yes, exactly. They, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Like, it just, it melted my heart. And it it, it helped me learn about certain things that I had, that I had overlooked, certain mm-hmm. things I'd never heard of before. But it it says it, you know, sometimes these mistakes, when they happen, the bittersweetness to it is that it at least sets these milestones so that people can kind of go back and reference and not repeat the same mistakes. Mm-hmm. Like, the black exploitation area is a, a good example of this. As bad as black exploitation was, it helped wedge a, a crack in that door for mm-hmm. people to start to see themselves represented in media. And a couple of good ones slipped through, like um, Blackula, for example. Yeah. So... You got to take the good with the bad and just stay positive and speak to truth. You know, don't speak to don't speak to what you believe is happening. Like really stay rooted in fact and don't just say that you want more diversification but then not support black indie filmmakers for example and then not support mm-hmm. people who are actually trying to affect that change. I mean, your $5 like I said about like depriving it from people who are like trying to keep problematic things going right yeah that five dollars then go go give it to a, a black filmmaker who is actually trying to affect the change that they want to see and i think that's why like when i went indie with my book i was nervous mm-hmm. because i my book's tagline for the i did it through kickstarter it mm-hmm. was um unapologetic uh, unapologetically black queer horror anthology and i did this for a reason mm-hmm. i didn't want somebody to give me their five dollars and then they get the book and like oh whoa, <laughs> whoa. and then my reviews pay for it like i wanted people to know up top mm-hmm. but with that level of transparency i'm afraid it's like are people going to say oh i'm not going to support this because you know it's it's a mm-hmm. lot happening with unapologetically black unapologetically black and queer that's a lot yeah. so when it financed in two days i didn't know what happened i was i was grateful (laughs) but i was i was kind of shell-shocked because i don't necessarily create just for money and stuff i do it because i really love this process i love meeting people like you yeah i love like what we're doing right now i mean you need money to survive so it would be cute obviously (laughs) yeah exactly it's like you know (laughs) <laughs> yeah like i podcast because i enjoy it same as yeah, i exactly. write because i enjoy it if i was getting paid and i didn't have to do a nine-to-five <laughs> civilian job right right perfect but, <laughs> you know at the same time i'm not gonna like hold out hope that that's gonna happen either <laughs> oh yeah yeah exactly <laughs> we're here we're here yeah <laughs> but um but no that's amazing like that is like i'm still like as someone who saw it happen that's amazing that the finance happened in two days but i think like from some you know an onlooker to it occurring i think it is because of that you know quote unquote brave tagline of (laughs) unapologetically you know black queer because like you're no you know you weren't like you know possibly like hiding behind you know hiding behind the fear of like if i don't put this label down and the reactions you were like you know what i'm just gonna put it out there and let the reactions be what they are 
I think people pick up on that. It's like the authenticity. And I think that's what people are reacting to. And that's why you're, you've got such a big positive reaction. And like, to, you know, to my own horn, <laughs> like, I, like, I feel that because of like, the simple fact that, you know, when I go through my day to day, you know, you know, wearing makeup, but, but keeping facial hair and dressing, you know, wearing what outfits I want, yeah. you know, I'm, getting the re you know people are reacting in the way that i want them to because i'm being authentic like yes i get the odd you know homophobe or transphobe every now and then but who doesn't yeah. get those <laughs> but it's more i'm getting so much more positive people in my life because of like just going you know i'm just gonna be authentic about it i'm just this is what you get you know take it or take it or like you know take it or don't and i think that that's part. worked with your book in you know you've launched it and go this is what you're gonna get and I think people have picked up on that and they've reacted to it. So yeah, kudos to you because that's really cool. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And but you know how that is. Like it, 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 it's going back to that main point: taking that good with the bad. Like, yeah. you know, I'm pretty sure some people won't get it, and I will get accused of like gay gender stuff or whatever. <laughs> but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it because this is where I want to create, and this is what I want to create. So I'm just going to stand in that. Exactly. But also, well, I would think that, you know, anyone who's reacting with, oh, this is more woke gay agenda You're stuff, right. <laughs> it's not for them. Like, right. you know, like, as in, if that's going to be their reaction, it's because they, you know, lack the brain cells to understand what's being put in front of them, to, to be blunt about it. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's really cool. And yeah, I like wish you all the best with everything that comes from that but thank you um but yeah i think like you said as well with supporting black indie horror you know filmmakers with supporting indie queer filmmakers we're gonna get more interesting and you know i don't want to say diverse i want to say more interesting and compelling mm. stories because it's real people who are telling them you know and it's they're telling them because they want to tell it not necessarily because there's a studio expectation we'll get more of those kind of compelling stories because it's not a studio that's driving it it's some actual creative person now the hope is that you'll get you know studios that are just like you know what here you go do what yeah. you want full creative control we'll just slap our name on it and i think in some ways it seems well they're less of a studio and more of a distributor but in some ways you seem to be getting that with a lot of the a24 films like they're very much kind of like supportive of different filmmakers visions yeah a24 is doing a good job i mean i think that's why i was excited when i heard they uh, slash them was happening yeah because i saw the potential but um see look i'm multifaceted i'm moving at the same time all right <laughs> Brilliant. But, um, talented <laughs> i think that's what i like about uh candy man 2021 that mm -hmm. they actually made some commentary around when people get into these spaces that are controlled still by like a lot of white gatekeepers, mm -hmm. they're still challenged with making it more accessible to the masses, which is something we talked about a little bit earlier. Yeah. And that's what Anthony, the main character was dealing with, you know, this white gatekeeper saying basically put more trauma into this. So that way we can push that out. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think in like taking the good with the bad, this is what happens. You know, we take, situations that are really terrible that are happening and we actually address them in a really um like headlong way in a yeah. lot of these pieces and it gives it like that that nice edge and that texture and we still want those things to recover but when people in the future look back at that moment 
they'll be able to think about it from that perspective that this is what a lot of artists who are getting opportunities around that time were dealing with. And hopefully it will be a thing of the past, hopefully. 100%. And I think that's why, like, um, as, like, kind of, like, a good kind of, like, rounding up closing point, but, like, I think that's why horror as a genre is one of the even though it tends to be like a genre that even though it makes so much money gets very little money from studios for the films to be made um it, it isn't at that big massive budget era yet but but i think it might get there oh yeah. that's a tangent but um horror as a genre as a medium is like the best genre for commenting and reflecting on society at the time the film is being made and i think that's why horror films stand the test of time more so than so many other types of genres in the sense that like you know if you watch a horror film it's a snapshot of what was occurring when that film existed you know so when you watch like any of the you know kind of like Romero zombie films yes they're zombie movies but they're also strong social commentaries on what society was functioning as at that time and Romero didn't really like it and you know and I think as we go forward we'll always be looking back and reflecting on films that came out at certain time periods and being like this is what that film represents and is talking about and the hope is that we're still not in that in the existence of where that film is talking about you know so hopefully like you know like a candy man 2021 in 10 15 years time you know we're or and hopefully less we've moved beyond what that film was criticizing and commenting on and that's the hope with any of these films and what those filmmakers want but um before i just again thank you so much for coming on um it's been an absolute oh i've loved it and this has been such a fun conversation and we've touched on really cool things but before i let you go once again if you could just uh you know talk a little bit more about the upcoming book and other kind of projects you're involved with and where people can follow you on the social medias and stuff like that all right well first of all thanks for having me this is great i had a great time and the book is called uh there's something wrong in Morrington county Mm-hmm. It's it should be coming out for everyone to purchase in October. Oh, cool! And if people um, want to follow along, you can actually um, go to www.brotherghoulish.com and subscribe to my mailing list, mm-hmm. and then you know you'll get an update when that happens. You could also listen to any of my podcasts because all the ones I'm on, I try to let people know where I am in the process with the publication. So my main one is Brother Ghoulish's Tune. I don't share horror short stories on it anymore. Sorry, you know, but, <laughs> but I do still review the genre. Um, it's kind of like a variety pod right now because this was like my first time doing one. So I've changed the mode. Mm-hmm. But right now I've just been kind of isolating films that I have things that I want to say something about. Yeah. So that's Brother Ghoulish's Tomb. And you can also listen to me on a Blurdy Massacre with Zero Gravity and Sheree, uh, the Slayer. Mm-hmm. And we talk about blurred culture every single week. And you can also listen to the alter tapes. Uh, but if all of this is like, okay, you said too much. Like I said, <laughs> www.brotherbullish.com. Because the first thing I put on that main page are the podcasts that I'm associated with, all five of them. And also information about my book. 
Amazing. Well, again, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And yes, I get, as I said, I wish you all the best and hope everyone buys every single version and iteration of that book when it comes out, because that sounds really amazing. I know I'll be seeking it out. And then yet yeah, to my listeners, keep your eyes and ears peeled for future episodes that drop in my why horror exploration.